The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hello, this is Kevin Miller. In this episode, we need your talents. I mean, almost everyone has had a parent or someone who told them they were special as a child, right? Someone who told you you were capable of so much. And if not, you've undoubtedly read or heard someone claim you have greatness in you. However, my experience is very few of us actually believe it, at least not to a great level. I mean, sure, we may feel like we have a knack for some things, uh, but it's not really that big of a deal. Well, my guest today challenges all of this on the issue. John Bevere, his latest book is titled X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential. And the point he makes is it's our responsibility to multiply our inherent talents, gifts, and abilities, though that assumes we're aware of what those are. And that's what I kick off the show in discussing. We spent a good while talking about that, discovering and clarifying what talents are within us and the reality that we do in fact have them. Then of course, how and why we multiply them. John's belief is that we multiply our talents and that's actually one of the key aspects of true faithfulness. But you won't find a simple or pithy discussion here. We get into the nitty gritty of what this really looks like and feels like in the real world, the day-to-day lives we all live. John Bevere, if you don't know him, uh, which a lot of you probably do. He's an international speaker, best-selling author. He and his wife, Lisa Bevere, are the founders of Messenger International. They've got incredibly large followings. John alone has over a million on Facebook, but it's due to their fervent and uncompromising messages for us all to multiply our God-given gifts. You can find John at John Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E, Com, and his new book, X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential, you can find wherever you buy books. Well, here is what else we have for you coming up in our other shows, plus some relevant resources. Then I'm going to bring John into the studio. John, I want to start off. I'm going to read right from your book here. This, this, I pulled it out and I just love it. You said, since the beginning of time, people have been searching for their, their unique identity and purpose. But in the current culture, there's a temptation to give up and neglect our passions, talents, and areas where we could be making a difference. And it just struck me. I mean, that you're talking at a root issue, I think, of what we see with this growing apathy and depression and diseases of despair, which even includes suicide. So I saw this from you as not just a call as, hey, this is what we should do unto God and mankind, but this is the only hope to find life. It's the only hope to find hope. And, and that's what I felt at the core of your, of your new message. Well, you know, it's so important that we establish two things in our life. First of all, our identity, and secondly, our purpose. This book really deals with purpose, but our purpose has to be an outflow of our identity. And so every person listening to us realizes that they must realize that they were born for a purpose. And I want to... Let, let me just open it up by saying this, Kevin. Um, let me ask a question to all of our listeners right now. If you hear, uh, this is a common state, statement people will hear. He has a call of God on his life. Mm-hmm. She has a call of God on her life. Okay, let's, let's break that down. Where do our minds go when we hear that? We think the person's called to be a pastor, a worship leader, a missionary. Yeah. When the reality is, Every human being has a call of God upon their lives. 
And unfortunately, we've reduced it down to ministry, vocational ministry. And what that does is removes passion from people in order to build the kingdom of God on this earth with their unique giftings that God's given them. The story I open up the book with really illustrates it beautifully. Um, we've given, as a ministry, we've given over 41 million resources in the past 10 years to pastors and leaders in 226 nations in 111 languages. One of the significant partners that has helped us do this, he and I had played golf. We were coming back from the round, and he really got vulnerable with me. He said, you know, John, I've, I've, I've worked my tail off. I'm just turning 50 years old. And he said, you know, um, my net worth is $9 million. And he said, my wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I work as hard in the decade of the 50s as I have so far? Why not just take it easy? And I, I knew this was an important moment, Kevin. And I, and I looked inside and I came up with an answer. I said, well, let me give you a different scenario. Because he looks at me, hey, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a minister of the gospel. And he looked at me, and, or I looked at him, and I said, I've written, at that time, it was 17 books. I've gotten on planes. I've traveled to over 60 countries, every continent but Antarctica. I've experienced jet lag. I've lived in little box hotel rooms of 400 square feet, 200 nights a year, away from my family. I've eaten the strangest foods, experienced really different cultures. You know, my wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I write another book? Why should I get on another plane and travel to another foreign nation? And he laughed at me, Kevin. He said, I wouldn't be, want to be in your shoes when you stand before God. And I said, Stan, his name was Stan. You just said the exact same thing to me. And I'll never forget this, Kevin. He had a smirk on his face like, oh, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face God. And I said, you just said the exact same words. And the smile left. He turned to me and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, he was almost a little upset. I said, Kevin, every one of us has a calling on our life and God's given, I said, Stan, excuse me, okay. Stan, everyone has a calling on their life. And God has given all of us unique giftings to help us accomplish that calling. I said, we are stewards of those gifts and we can do whatever we want with them. We can, we can do one of three things with those gifts. We can use them to build the kingdom of God, which means to build people's lives as intended. We can use them to build ourselves, or we can just sit on them and do nothing. I said, you look at my life and you see how my life builds other people's lives. You see the direct connection of how I build the kingdom of God with my writing and speaking gift. I said, the problem is you haven't connected your dots. Yeah. And I remember that conversation stirred him to where six months later, he said, I'm working my tail off to build my businesses to 35 million because I want to build people's lives. I want to build the kingdom of God. And so this is what every human being has to come to grips with. And I'll tell you another heartbreaking story to answer this first question of yours. I have a friend who runs, he has over 30,000 people in his church. He runs a leadership conference every year. People flying from all over the country. It sells out every year. There's a very well-known medical doctor in his church. And the medical doctor um, was in the auditorium the day before the conference, putting pamphlets on the delicate seats. My friend rushed over because he's a, he's a quite a well-known medical doctor in the city. And he said, hey, we have volunteers and interns that can do this. Doc, doc, you don't need to be doing this. And he said the doctor rebuked him and said, pastor, 
I take one week a year off my medical practice so I can help build the kingdom of God. He said, please don't take this away from me. Kevin, I've actually cried over this situation. I was on a podcast two weeks ago where I broke down in tears because here's the thing, for 51 weeks a year, that doctor is in the secular. He's earning a living. But one week a year, he gets to build the kingdom of God. And what breaks my heart is that he doesn't realize that all 52 weeks of the year, he's in the sacred building the kingdom. And I think that translates to our listeners right now. Many of our listeners think I'm in the sacred when I'm in church 90 minutes on Sunday morning. I'm in the sacred when I'm listening to certain podcasts. I'm in the sacred when I'm doing my 15-minute devotional in the morning. No, you're in the sacred 24-7 because most of the unique giftings that God has given to human beings, they don't work inside the four walls of the church. They work outside. They work in the marketplace, in education, in healthcare, in government positions, in professional athletics. And I could go on and on. It works as being a stay-at-home mom. So God has given us these gifts. And what, what our part is, is to discover these gifts and to believe to operate in them and multiply in building other people's lives. And if we discover this, we'll have the same passion as Mother Teresa, the same passion as Billy Graham, the same passion as Oral Roberts, because we will realize that what we do is important. And one of the things I said to that businessman is I said, I have a seen gift. People see me on platforms. They see me with my name on books. You don't have a seen gift. And I said, my Bible tells me that your gift is actually more valuable than my gift. Well, you say that in your book. You said more likely, uh, mm-hmm. more than likely, your calling is not in the organized church world, but you are privileged to excel, to stand out in the arena of life you are sent to. So I, I get that. A lot of the listeners are going to get that, though some of them are going to look around and question if they are in the correct arena and try to discern that. And I'll throw that to you, though. I have definitely experienced some people when they look around and realize I'm not in the right arena. Now, can I make the best of where I am? Can I be a light where I am? Sure. But there are some people who maybe weren't listening to the right guidance and have gotten into an arena that's going to be more difficult. Speak to both sides to, well, speak to that. I mean, because this is part of your message of now we do have to discern what is our calling? What are our giftings? What are our talents? More than likely, most people are in the arena they were created to be in. However, if you're not, God has a way of getting our attention if we're seeking him. My Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek him in faith, not those who casually seek him in wonder and doubt. So here's the way I say it. I was headed towards a corporate life. I was was on the dean's list at Purdue University. I played varsity tennis there. I was going, my, my counselor and I, who was my, uh, he, was a, he was a professor at Purdue, I was gonna go to Harvard, I was gonna get my MBA, and I was gonna move up a corporate ladder really fast. Well, God just began, and it took a year and a half, started dealing with me in all kinds of ways, through people, through dreams, through just impressions, that I was called to ministry. Now, Kevin, I wanted nothing to do with ministry. Why? Because every minister I'd met, I wasn't really impressed with, or I thought they ended up as a Catholic priest and couldn't get married or in Africa in a shack. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget after a year and a half of dealing with me, one day I felt I heard so clearly because the presence of God came on me so strong. I've called you to preach the gospel. What are you gonna do about it? And I remember that day I said, God, 
I don't care if I end up in Africa in a shack. I don't care if I end up, you know, in a in a in, in a situation that's a small town with a little house. I don't care. I'll I'll do this because I knew this is what I was created to do. So what I like to say to our audience is, if you're in that arena, let's say healthcare that God created you for, He won't get your attention, move you out. <laughs> But if you're not in the right arena, God will get your attention if you're seeking him. Yeah. See, I, I, if, if I'm just sitting there going, oh, I want to enjoy life to the fullest and get the most I can. And I just want to go wherever I want to go. Well, that, that I'm clearly saying to God, I want my own path and I don't want your path. But if I'm a person who honestly and sincerely says, God, I know that you sent Jesus Christ to die for me so that I could be a son or daughter of God. That's identity. But I also know equally, you also created me to do something. And I want to do what you created me to do. God will get my attention. Okay, I want to go into this aspect of well, where you got your message, multiply your potential. And I appreciate in the book, you said you ask people about their thoughts on faithfulness. I love coming at it from that direction. Right. And I'm going to read down through there. You know, they came back with steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, truthful, resolute, obedient. I sat and thought about it myself, John. And I said, I think I would have come back with faithfulness is seeking the good of others and even the willingness to serve kind of like what you said, if I am seeking, you know, God's best. And yet, that's not what you came back with. Not that you didn't agree with those, but you came back with multiplication as the true definition of faithfulness. So as a give, major definition, a major yes. definition. Okay. Right. Give us the context of you coming to, well, maybe you don't want to call it a conclusion, but that is a primary aspect of faithfulness. So up until 10 years ago, so you got to remember, I was in the ministry 26 years, not knowing this. I was the same as you. I saw faithfulness as what you just read, and I did not equate faithfulness with multiplication. However, you know, at, when I was 50 years old, there were over 25,000 churches that were using our studies, our curriculums. I, I, you know, I've written 22 books now, but at that time, I think it was about, no, I don't know, it's, uh, 14 books. We had made curriculums with all of them. All these churches in America, there were over 25,000 churches in America using them over a thousand in Australia and over 500 in England. And I came in from a round of golf. My wife was speaking at a conference in England. And I got down to my basement. I'm reading the book of Daniel. I just felt like reading the book of Daniel and the presence of God filled my basement. And the Holy Spirit said these exact words. You have been faithful with the English speaking community. I want you now to get your resources into the hands of every pastor and leader in the world who can't afford them. Now, all of a sudden now I'm thinking, whoa, you've been faithful. All right. Up to that time, I'd multiplied the books by creating the curriculums. Now he's asking me to go to another level of multiplication. Well, then I connected the dots because Jesus tells this parable about talents. And he said, in the kingdom, God has these three servants. And he said, one gets one talent, one gets two, one gets five. Now, talent's a measure of weight and money. But in this parable, it represents our supernatural, unique abilities or giftings that God places on every person's life. OK, and the, the, the two, the, the one that got five and the one that got two, both multiplied what they got and ended up with 10 and four. 
So the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if he just said that, I wouldn't have come to this conclusion. But it's the next statement that really everybody that I missed for 26 years. You have been faithful. So let me say the statement again. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The only thing Jesus talks about these two doing is multiplying their gifts. So Jesus directly equates multiplication with faithfulness. You have been faithful. The only thing they did in the whole parable was multiply. Then you look at the third servant. He maintains his one gift. And he said, you are a lazy servant. So right there, we can deduct. And it's the, the biblical definition of faithfulness. One of the major definitions. Sure, it means steadfast. Sure, it means consistent. It means dependable. It means reliable. It means loyal. But it also means multiplication. If you look at God's first command to mankind, when he put him on the earth, he said, be fruitful and multiply. What is God saying? He's saying, anything I impart, I give to you, you're a steward of my ability. You return it back to me multiplied. Of course, he was talking about children, but he, I'm giving the overall. Jesus is amplifying that original command that God said, hey, whatever I give you in this earth, return it back to me multiplied. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode with John Bevere and Multiplying Your Potential. You can find his new book, X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential, wherever you buy books and find John at John Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E.com. I've got some great resources for you right now. Then we're going to get back into it with me asking John about how we can protect our talents from fear, which is a very real struggle. So let's hit on that third servant who gets billed as lazy. You actually posted today on Facebook about the parable of the talents and the temptation to not try in order to, and I'm paraphrasing, stay safe and not risk failure. So let's, in having uh, grace, are there some lazy people out there? Sure. But I think in this audience, we have a lot of aspiring people. We have people who are good intentioned, but dealing with fear, just as you posted on there, they are willing, they would want to be willing. They have good intent, but they are fearful and they are hiding that talent. They are safeguarding that talent, afraid to step out there and risk failure. You know that that's very real, very sensitive to a lot of folks. I'll let you speak to that. So, uh, I'm going to do it in a roundabout way. I look at Paul, the apostle, he writes a lot about this. Um, let, let's back up. Let, let me not talk about with Paul. Let me, let me talk to our listeners. There are a lot of listeners that are listening to us that one of two things, they want to do something, but they're fearful, or they think if I'm just a kind, nice person, the gift in me will automatically work. That's not true. Let's eliminate that thought right there. If you look at Timothy, he's one of the most godly character people in the whole New Testament. Paul wrote to the entire Philippian church and said, you know his proven character. He doesn't seek things for himself. He seeks the benefit of others. I mean, that's pretty significant when it's written in Holy Scripture that you're one of the most godly men that Paul ever met. But yet Paul has to write him two times in both the letters to Timothy and say, Timothy, your God-given gift is not working. It's inoperative. In the first letter, in the second letter, he writes to him and says, the reason your God-given gift is still not operating is because you are fearful. 
So this is the exact statement that was made to the servant who was lazy. He's, excuse me, it wasn't made to him. He said it himself. He said, I was afraid. Right. So here is the situation we're all faced with. When do we make those steps of risk? They're actually called steps of faith. Faith isn't presumption. If Peter just steps out on the boat, he's going down to the bottom of that sea. Peter looked at Jesus and he said, if it's you, I just need one word from you. Come. That one word, Jesus, all he said was come, gave Peter the ability to do what nobody else could do in that boat. And that's walk on water. Now, they could have done it if they would have said, Jesus, give me one word. So I want to say to everybody out there, risks aren't risks if we have a word from God on it. It looks like a risk to everybody else but we have a knowing in our heart that we were told to do it. Every significant move that we have, we have an organization now, we have 60 people. We, you know, like I said, have given away all these resources. We've got all this stuff going on, right? We've got a a $2 million app platform that's coming out in January that's gonna help disciple people all over the world. Everything that God has told us to do, Kevin, has looked like a risk, but in reality, there was a word from seeking God And when we made that step, things began to happen. Last year, a multi-billionaire asked to meet with me. I was speaking in a conference in Dallas. The conference host said, this multi-billionaire wants a meeting with you. I said, sure. So I sat down with this guy and he had asked that I would speak into his life. But I I really went went into that meeting for me to learn something (laughs) because I'm sure I probably helped him in some capacity, but my life was changed. Because he said to me, John, I knew I was called to the business world, to the marketplace. He's from New Zealand. And he said, I floundered in the business world. He said, I was reading all the books that are, you know, the top selling books in the business world. He said, I'm doing everything those books are telling me to do. And he said, but I'm struggling in the business world. So he said, one day I'm sitting in my church. It's a Sunday morning service. My pastor is ministering to us. And he said, the thought hits me, my pastor's called to do this. It's very obvious. And he depends on the Holy Spirit to do what he does. I'm called to the marketplace. Why aren't I depending on the Holy Spirit? So he said, I changed my paradigm. I got up every morning, put a notepad out and said, God, give me the ideas, the thoughts, the things you want me to do today. And he said, I begin to write them down. And he said, I began to do them. And he said, some of them seem unconventional and insignificant. He said, the most insignificant things that God told me to do ended up producing millions. He said, now I'm a multi-billionaire and he owns like 20 hospitals in Vietnam. He owns the second largest bank in the world. And he said, everything I've gotten has looked like it was insignificant or it was a risk, but I knew God had spoken to me. And here he is now, he has a life to prove it. So what I'm saying here is I, I look at me, you know, um, God spoke to me and told me to write. Well, my worst subject was high, in high school was English and creative writing. I scored a 370 on the SAT. I've only met two in English. I've only met two people that have scored lower than me on the SAT in English. But yet when God tells me to write, I have a choice. Now, I'm, I'm birthing a young ministry, a young organization. I need to give a lot of time to the birthing of this organization. If I'm going to write, it took me four hours to write a two-page paper in high school. How much time is going to take for me to write a whole book? But yet I knew God spoke to me. 
and I did it. And it, it stretched us. There were nights we were up till 11 o'clock at night, my wife and I, doing the other matters of the ministry, of developing it. But now I look today and the books are in the tens of millions. They're in 129 languages total now, and they're international bestsellers. I mean, I'm the, I'm the number one published author in the country of Vietnam, both secular or Christian. Um, China has published the bait of Satan now for their three self-government church. The president of Zambia asked me if I would uh, print a book for every business leader and government leader and church leader in his country. So the, 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 this has happened. Why? Would I have done this on my own? Never. My English teachers would have said, don't you ever make writing a career, John Bevere. Mm-hmm. But that word from God spoken to me caused me to flourish. It looked insignificant to write a book. It actually looked counterproductive. But listening to that still small voice in my heart and obeying it, now today I'm able to help millions and millions of people. Well, and I want to come right back to, I want to dig into some of the talents and giftings or the issues of discerning talents and giftings. But I don't want to, I don't want to miss you talking about risk because I'm with you, but I want to dig into that. Just as you said in the book, you talked about the injustice that you feel from the sinner's prayer and you went in and we won't won't go into that right now. But in that sense, I also feel amongst the church that I grew up in, there's a lot of injustice around that. If it's from God, you know, it's going to happen because we see a lot of people who think I got this word from God. I have this anointing, this direction, this calling from God, and I'm going to go. And you say, if it's from God, no risk. Okay, I'm with you there. But we also know that you're very likely, if not definitively, it's going to happen. You're going to hit a seemingly insurmountable obstacle because I don't know how many times I've gone back in my own struggles and trials and looked at Moses and said, okay, here's this guy called by God, doesn't want to do it, doesn't think he's prepared to do that. God says, do it anyways. He takes off and then there's the Red Sea. And then we begin the litany of the insurmountable obstacles. And as you know, when people hit those, the first thing they do is question, this must not be of God. I must. Right. And you're telling me there's no risk, John? Reconcile those because you know people get stuck there in a mighty way. And I'm glad you caught me on that, Kevin, because I need to speak into that. I mean, I'll give you another example. Paul had a Macedonian call. He saw a man come over and preach the gospel to us. He goes over and preaches and gets thrown into the dungeon. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first thing that hits him when he goes over there. And you're already thinking now, I miss God. I've been put in this dungeon. No, you haven't. There are going to be obstacles, but God will break these things down. And and you, you said the Red Sea. There were a ton of obstacles before the Red Sea. So obstacles doesn't mean that we're not heading the right direction. What I'm saying by risk, a risk to me is something like, gosh, I may lose everything. If God tells us to do it, we're not going to lose everything, but we're certainly going to run into obstacles. Matter of fact, that's one of the sure ways you know you have heard from God. And almost everything I've done, I've run into obstacles. But if I look at the end result, it always ended up being very fruitful. So I I, I say that a person that takes a risk is a person that says, I'm going to do this on my own, doesn't have any kind of guidance, doesn't have counsel from wise people, doesn't have counsel from his wife or her husband, doesn't doesn't have a word from God. And they jump out and do something. They're going to fall on their face and it's not going to be obstacle. It's going to be failure. Yeah. Okay. Now. 
The fear of that will keep it, people from doing anything. Okay, the fact that I'm comfortable, I've got a salary, I've got a, you know, I'm doing better than my parents, I'm doing better than I thought I would do is one of the greatest obstacles for us to continue to multiply. So I have to say, as a 61 year old man, I'm listening constantly. I mean, we're, we're taking a step right now where I told my team the other day that if God's not in this, I'm sinking this whole organization and they're all with me. We all know it's a, a move from God. And, and yet that's exhilarating to me because God has made it so clear to all of us and we feel like we're moving together towards this massive change in the way we're gonna do things. And that's what, to be honest with you, Kevin, that's what keeps passion in us. That's what keeps excitement in us. God will always make what he's called us to do, he will make it beyond what we can see we can do in our natural ability. Yeah. Why does he do that? Because he wants us dependent on him. It actually keeps us safe. When you get to the point where you say, I got it, God, thank you so much. I've done this a few times. I used to need you, but now I'm going to do it. That's when we're getting into big trouble. As a 61-year-old man who's been in the ministry now almost 40 years, I am still like, like trembling right now, thinking this new move that we're about to make in 2021, if God, you don't sustain this and you don't come through, we're sunk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I love it. I absolutely love it because you know what? It gives him the glory. And I want to tell you something about everybody's calling. The calling that God's placed on your life, and I'm speaking to all your listeners, I'm going to tell you something very important about your calling. It's beyond your natural ability to accomplish. Let me say it a different way. It is impossible for you to fulfill what God's put you on this earth to do in your own natural ability. How do I know that? Because God said, I will not share my glory with anyone. So if God made your calling able to be accomplished in your own natural ability, he'd have to share the glory with you. And God says, I'm not sharing it with anybody. So God on purpose made your calling beyond your natural ability. So we'd have to depend on what? his empowerment, his grace, his charisma, that's our giftings, his, our supernatural giftings that we steward to accomplish it. This gives him the glory. This keeps us humble and us protected from having a big head. So one of the first times I spoke, Kevin, I put my wife, after we were married, I put her asleep and her best friend was drooling. She was so, so out, okay? And I remember I found that now you got to remember this is years ago i found the master cd of that message where my wife slept through the message on the front row and her best friend was in such deep sleep she had drool coming out i went to destroy it and the holy spirit said don't throw that away and i'll never forget i thought no 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 nobody should ever hear that message again this needs to be destroyed and i heard again inside don't throw it away i said okay i need understanding why are you telling me not to throw this message that nobody should ever hear away. He said, because I always want you to know how bad you are without me. And, you know, now, Kevin, I've spoken to crowds of 35,000 in a building. I've spoken to, you know, several times, five to 10,000. I don't put people to sleep anymore. Why? Because it was back then me trying to accomplish something prematurely. Now there's a gift on my life that I have faith for and people stay awake when I speak. And this is what I'm trying to get people to tap into. Number one, discover your gift. Number two, develop your gift. And number three, multiply your gift. Now, it all has to be done by faith. The problem is 
We can't believe something we don't know. And if you don't know that that divine empowerment is on every single person's life, you won't have the faith to engage it. And I want to see people to have faith to engage it. So that's what I believe reading this book is going to do. It's not going to make people into cookie cutters. It's going to open their eyes and they're going to see there are divine abilities that I've been entrusted with on my life. And it's going to give them the faith to believe, to open that up and make the steps of, quote, what we call risk that will bring them to new levels. I want to hit on discovering gifts. You just said divine abilities because as you talk about you talked about just now and you write about in the book you did not hit the tarmac as a great speaker you did not hit the page as a great writer as as either now god has now you you feel a divine gifting from that but you're also not saying you can do anything. It's kind of the Zig Ziglar thing of, you know, we believe in you, but Shaquille O'Neal never could have been a good jockey. It's just not going to happen. I mean, God did part the Red Sea. That would be akin to parting the Red Sea. And you talk about yeah. singing, that after all this time, you are not divinely gifted with singing. And so, you know, but that's big there because you, you say that and we see a lot of people who run afoul of thinking, hey, if it's, you know, if God's in this, he can help me do anything. And so I want to get into those talents, giftings, and the aspect of what is inherent in you? What is predisposed in you? Where do you really have potential? Because that's, that's the tagline of your book. You're talking about the potential because you're not saying it's everywhere. You have to go discover it and you may not be good at it now. And God can come in and divinely gift you with that, but it's not going to be everywhere. Just like you talked about with your own singing, reconcile that a little bit. So there's two, two entire chapters on what we just talked yep. about. First of all, let's talk about gifts. Gifts can be given at birth by God. And, and a gift doesn't mean just a developed ability. If I practice 10,000 hours at anything, I'm going to get pretty decent at it. I'm talking about something that's there given by God and you believe and there's a supernatural empowerment that where you rise quickly. Now that gift, and let me, let me say this, that gift may look supernatural. If you look at the painting right behind me, Akiana painted that when she was eight years old. That's a divine ability that is obvious to everybody. There are other divine giftings in our life that they seem like their natural abilities, but yet they excel above mainstream ability, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When are these gifts given? Well, they're given at birth. I look at Akiana, it's almost like she was given it at birth, right? What's an example in the Bible? John the Baptist had the gift of recognizing the Messiah. When did he first recognize the Messiah? Everybody's probably thinking, oh, it was at the River Jordan at the baptism. No, it wasn't. It was when he was in his mother's womb and Mary came to visit Elizabeth. He leapt in his mother's womb because he recognized the Messiah. So that gift was given to him right at birth. But then you look at King Saul. King Saul couldn't prophesy as a young man. But one day Samuel came and gave him a word from God and said, there's an ability that's going to come on you and you're going to begin to prophesy when you come to this group of people. And he started prophesying and he continued to prophesy the rest of his life. So sometimes if you my case, that writing gift didn't come until a word from God came to me in prayer in 1991, said, son, I want you to write. When I acted on that word, that gifting manifested and it multiplied, okay, as I continue to believe. I look at speaking, I was putting my wife to sleep, but then out of obedience, I felt like we were supposed to be youth pastors and my pastor launched us to be a youth pastor. And the first Sunday morning, 
the pastor asked me to get up and speak in 25 in front of 2,500 people. And my wife was like covering her face going, Oh no. You know, she knew how bad of a speaker I was. And I remember that morning I got up and within 30 seconds, 2,500 people were on their feet screaming and going crazy for four or five minutes. I handed the microphone back to the senior pastor. I went back to my seat shaking and my wife looked at me like who just possessed my husband's body. Well, that gift came on my life right then. And I started speaking for the, for the rest of the time. So I believe both of my unique gifts came because of a word of, of the Lord later in life, if that makes sense. So I'm not talking about natural giftings. I am naturally a gifted tennis player. I played varsity tennis. I played junior Davis Cup. But that's not my unique God gifting on my life to do what I'm called to do. Does that make well, sense? It does, John, but I want to ask on that. So... Man, you know, does God perform miracles? Does he give a divine gift like that? And you go from zero to hero in, you know, zero in 60 seconds. Yes. Oh, there was a lot of blocks. That okay. I was going to, that's what I wanted to get into because I mean, you also talked about your 10,000 hours and even having this thing that you feel like God gave you, I'm going to assume you also became a student of speaking, a student of writing. You put in your right. time and you got testimony from others. Cause of course we all laugh, not laugh. It's, it's heartbreaking sometimes to see the American idol and somebody who's just, they know that they're gifted to be a singer and their whole family says they're great. And they're obviously not, uh, you know, not yet now granted we're we're outside of the seeking God probably and, and uh, doing, you know, looking for his will in that. But talk to us about that. Cause we talk about this a lot with Ziggler. I mean, Zig was a, this incredible speaker and people think, Oh, he was just anointed from God. And the guy was an incredible student as well with seeking God with some inherent ability. Yes. So the first book I wrote, right. Uh-huh. took me a whole year and I really didn't like it. Uh, and it was a lot of struggle and after an entire year no publisher wanted the book Mm. one publisher said it was too preachy the other one never even responded so we self-published it and one of my the first people to read it was a friend of mine and he said john i think you used too many scriptures i remember i was so discouraged i laid on the floor just staring at the ceiling for over 30 minutes on my living room floor after hearing that comment from my friend. So what am I gonna do? Am I gonna give up? No, I knew I'd heard from God. And I look at this book, this book cranked out in about three months and it was easy and it was fun. Now, what happened? There was a gift on my life when God spoke to me, but I hit roadblocks, I hit discouragement. I I had to develop you. The Bible actually talks about growing in the grace, growing in that divine imparted ability. I just continued on because I knew I was on the right track. So I also knew that I wasn't called to play Wimbledon, to play U.S. Open. So I walked away from being a tennis pro and playing the USTA circuit and Junior Davis Cup and varsity tennis at Purdue University. I walked away because I really knew inside. I enjoyed tennis, but I knew it wasn't my life calling. Now, I have a friend who is a professional golfer. He's won four times on the PGA Tour. He was trying to do what I do. He wanted to preach. And he was floundering. He almost lost his, he's, he's been on the PGA now for, I think he's in his 16th year. He almost lost his card 
And this was in his like third year. And I took him to a service and the Lord really ministered to him. And after the service, I said, boy, I could see God was really touching you during this service. He said, yeah, he was. I said, what did he tell you? He said, he told me to play golf. And he said, you know, John, I wanted to do what you're doing. I wanted to go to churches and men's conferences and preach. He said, so he focused on golf. And right after that, he won four PGA tournaments and he got as high as 16 in the world. And he's been on the tour now 16 years. He's still on it. Now, what's the difference? I'm a great tennis. I, I was a great tennis player, but I knew that's not where God had called me. Just from spending time with him, I knew as much as I loved it, as good as I was, I knew that wasn't my purpose. But I know, knew, even though it looked like this is stupid, my purpose was to write. So I didn't stop. And, and, and the, you know, the thing that I like to share, God said to it, remember James says, the effectual, effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the key is a fervency. And the man he talks about is Elijah. And he said, Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain three and a half years. And then he prayed again, it would rain. Well, if you go back and you look at that story, God speaks to Elijah, puts it in his heart. It's time for rain to come. He, the Bible says he put his head between his knees in 1 Kings 18. And I could just see him passionately saying, God, okay, bring the rain you told me you want to bring. And he sends his servant. His servant goes up the mountain and comes back and says, there's nothing. At that point, most people would quit. They'd say, oh, I didn't really hear from God. But Elijah so knew that God spoke to him, he put his head between his knees and prayed passionately again and sent his servant up again. Servant comes back a second time and says, there's nothing. At that time, almost 99% of people would go, I guess I didn't hear from God. Mm -hmm. He sent that guy up seven times. And the seventh time, the guy says, there's a cloud the size of a man's fist. And that's when the rain came. And I think sometimes, Kevin, what, first of all, what gives Elijah that persistence? He knew and he knew that he knew that he was supposed to do it. Okay. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to write, even though I'm laying on the floor, looking up at the ceiling, thinking I'm an utter failure. But in my heart, I knew, no, John, you did what you were supposed to do. And, you know, then the next self-published book came out and then came out Beta Satan, which is now pushing two million copies. So I had basically two failures. My Bible school teacher on the second book said it was she really didn't like it. I had one roadblock after another, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to go this direction. If I would have done this with tennis, I don't think I ever would have made it to Wimbledon because I, that wasn't my purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to connect to our purpose. You know, Jesus made the statement. Listen, he said, my, my nourishment, my, or excuse me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. If you look at food, food's what gives us strength. So in essence, when I look at people that aren't engaged in their purpose, they lose that strength, that spiritual strength that they need. And many times they walk away from God because they're discouraged. So it's very important to understand our, our purpose and to understand that our purpose has value. Well, that's right where I was going to go. Value. I mean, looking at, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, where we talk about the importance of the body and the different 
parts of the body and the head and the hand and the foot and whatnot. Uh, you know, you talk in your book about Celine Dion and Andre Bucelli, who I just you talk about knocking it out of the park with some obvious giftings that could not come from anywhere but God. And yet, as much as we would point to the Bible, point to the scriptures, point to, of course, everybody has talents. Of course, everybody has a purpose. John, by far and large, I, I don't see people actually believing in that. When it comes down to it, do they really believe it? Or they believe, maybe I do, but it's really small. Do I really have something that's that worthwhile? And that seems at a foundational level, still such an important message. Well, you know, I think one of the problems with the guy with the one talent is he probably didn't see the value of what he had. Mm -hmm. And that's why he didn't multiply. You know, I look at these giftings, they're irrevocable. I mean, you look at Tiger Woods, he got, he's got a gift. And you know what he did? He believed on a certain level. He believed mm -hmm. and became one of the greatest golfers in history. If you look at somebody like an Andre Puccelli or Stevie Wonder, they believed at some level. And I think this is what confuses people. These gifts that God gives, they're irrevocable. They're without repentance. The Bible says that. And they'll work if we believe, even if we don't have a relationship with God. If you look at God, he said, hey, I put something on Cyrus, even though he doesn't know me. He was a great leader, but he didn't have a relationship with God. So I look at our relationship with Jesus Christ. That really helps us to tap into our gift. But there are people that tap into their gifts, even without a relationship with their yeah. creator who gave them those gifts. Thanks for bringing that out. Yeah. And it's really important that we understand that what our relationship with Jesus Christ does is our relationship makes it easier to tap into our gifts because we can communicate with our creator. You know, you know, Kevin, I, I'm, I, I'm a dad of four sons. And you know, you know what the number one work day for me is a year when my kids were little it was Christmas. Okay. Four sons, you know, I got to put together a lot of toys. So here's my manner. This is what I do. I get out the toy, uh, the box, I rip it open. I throw all the pieces on the floor. I take the manual and throw it over in the corner and I start assembling it because I'm smart, right? Of course. And right. Yeah. I'm about to show you how stupid I am. So anyway, I, I get done after two hours of work. There's still 10 pieces sitting on the floor. I go to turn on the, the, the toy and it doesn't work. So what do I do now? I go grab that manual I threw over in the corner. I deconstruct the entire toy, spend another hour putting it together according to the manual and I turn it on and it works. Here's the deal. God's our creator. He knows what breaks us and he knows what makes us. And I think sometimes we try to say to God, this is what's good for me. Listen to me, God, I'm going to do it. Instead of having a relationship where you can say, God, I want to tap into what you put in me. I want when the switch gets turned on that I work, right? Can somebody discover that? Can I put together a toy without looking at the manual? I might be able to do it. Tiger Woods, Woods figured it out that there was a real gift on his life. Andre Pacelli maybe figured it out without a relationship. I'm not saying they don't. Maybe they did without a relationship. But here's the deal. When you got a relationship with God, you should be able to tap in. And this is what I say to Christians. I say, you know, I'll say to friends that are in professional athletics, how come you aren't doing as good as that person is doing? Where's your faith at? Does he believe more than you and yet you're the one with the relationship with your creator? <laughs> I mean, you look at Daniel. 
Daniel goes in to the number one country in the world. Now think about it all. And he's a government official. He's not a minister of the gospel. All these government leaders have been taught by the finest scientists, the best teachers, the best leaders in the world. I mean, they had Zig Ziglar. They had John Maxwell. They had the best of the best, right? But the king interviews Daniel and his three friends. They come from this little country, and he says he's 10 times smarter, 10 times wiser, 10 10 times more innovative and creative than our best leaders. Daniel has ideas that he'd never thought of, gets promoted, 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 until he's over everybody. And you know what the Bible says in Daniel 6.3? Daniel distinguished himself Mm -hmm. among the other administrative leaders of Babylon because he had an excellent spirit. He tapped in to his creator's ability in him, and he flourished above them all. Well, if you look at Jesus, he says John the Baptist is the least Excuse me, John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman, which makes him greater than Daniel. Now, John's a minister. Daniel's a government leader. So don't try to compare them. But John's greater. But Jesus said the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, which makes the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than Daniel. So my question is, Kevin, why aren't we distinguishing ourselves? We should be the Tiger Woods, the Andrea Bocelli's, the, 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 the Freddie Mercury's of the earth. Not not people who believe in something that God actually gave them, but they don't have a relationship with him. Absolutely. I think that's the best the best weapon the church has is we can go out there and excel and, and exceed what's happening out in the world. And yet we don't. And we let the spoils often go where it shouldn't. I want to land, John, on stewardship. I think when we hear stewardship, it's real easy to talk about stewardship when you're Dave Ramsey and we're talking about money. People get that. Christians get that. They've been taught that and it's very tangible. But now here you are saying, how are we being a student of our talents? And right here you're talking about so often we're not even aware of them. We're not self-aware. We haven't figured out what they are, much less than to say, okay, I've got talents And maybe that's a great place to start is to say, you have to believe that you have talents as unto God, as a child of God, whether you're seeking him or not, you have talents, they're in you. So you got to discover those. But then once you do, how are you being a steward? That's always been one of the more convicting things. And and, and honestly, John, convicting to the point of sometimes struggling with trying to offload a little shame of my gosh, here I am at whatever age, have I done enough? Have I? I hate, I hate that. I, I know. Hate well, that. it's very. It's a, good, it's a good question to ask, but it's not a good question to dwell on. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? I, it, it does. It does. I, but so I feel like there's there's two sides. There's one, we need to be convicted of being a good steward of our yeah. talents, and yet over here, it's also to go too far with that and feel like, am I doing? I'm probably not doing enough, and I do. I struggle over there a lot. I have to. I have to shelf it a lot and just have faith. Because we do have the power, I do have the power to make some mistakes, to make some bad choices. You said earlier to take that vision of God, you stepped on my toes completely. To take that vision of God, say, God, I'm seeking you. Now I see the vision. Okay, I got it. I'll talk to you later. And I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you've brought up some great points. A steward is somebody who manages what belongs to somebody else. Our, yeah. our supernatural abilities actually are God's ability but he doesn't micromanage. A steward is not micromanaged. Good example, Joseph was started out as a slave in Potiphar's house in Genesis, but he ended up being a steward of his household. And the Bible says that Potiphar didn't know anything that was going on in his household except the food at his table. Yeah. 
So Potiphar's not micromanaging Joseph. So here's what I'm here's my point. Whatever abilities God's given you, he's not micromanaging you. He's there for advice if you ask. That's why James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God, especially when you come into difficult times. But God expects us to never plateau. I was speaking on this at a business leadership meeting. And one of the top commercial real estate developers in Los Angeles came up to me and said, I'm coasting, I'm coasting. And he knew what he was saying to me. He got to a level of success that was better than any other in the city. And he had made a lot of money. And he thought, you know what? I can take it easy now. Instead of saying, okay, what's next, God? And there is a next. There's always a next. I really believe that. Because to him who has, Jesus says, in regard to our talents and multiplication, more will be given and he will have an abundance. And so, Kevin, you, you don't come to the point where you're actually beating yourself up because you're not doing enough. That's not healthy. I think that we can always do a quick self-exam, but then we, we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to leave that there and we're going to keep going. But I think a quick self-examination just says, okay, God, I've gotten to this level. I need to go to the next level. I need a new, fresh, inspired idea. And that's how God brings us from level to level to level. When we ask for a fresh, inspired idea, he'll drop it in us. One night we'll be sleeping, we'll wake up the next morning, we'll get up and we'll go, oh my gosh, I just had an idea. Capture it. Pray about it. Sleep on it for a few nights. If you feel every time you pray about it, you feel a velvet feeling in your spirit, move on that idea. Don't let it, don't let it just fall by the wayside. That's literally the seed that goes by the wayside. It gets devoured. It's gone. And so it's very important. We have to realize that God is not a shouter. Preachers shout, okay? Leaders shout sometimes, but God doesn't. He is recognized in the still small voice. Jesus said it's the seed, the insignificant seed. And so we have to look at that quiet whisper that that feels really velvety inside. And when we get that, we move on it and we enjoy it. Are we gonna hit obstacles? Yes, but let's enjoy even the obstacles because that joy is what strengthens us. If we get overcome with, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not, that's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. This is something we're supposed to enjoy. Yeah. And so let's not allow heavy burdens, heavy disappointments, heavy questioning of ourselves hinder us because that will ultimately make us afraid and we won't move. Or we'll do things that are presumptuous and we'll fall flat on our face and then we're so discouraged we just give up. Yeah. Let's listen, be good listeners. And then let's move and enjoy moving. That's what we've got to do. John, I mean, the passion you have for this topic is obvious. And this is, I'm going to end where I often begin. So here's this book. You've written lots of books, but here's one. And uh, about three months ago, in the span of about two weeks, I had on this show, John O'Leary and Sam Collier. And they both, in talking about purpose, 
they brought it to a perspective that really resonated with me because we often talk about that purpose. We should be passionate about it, you know, and, and we talk about passions and I've often felt like some of the things that I went after a certain message, a certain, uh, calling felt more like a burden. And they said it in the way of what breaks your heart. And as I read this, I wondered about the catalyst for you taking the time to write this specific book. What breaks your heart out in the culture right mm -hmm. now That's that brought question. you to this book? So I've wanted to write this book for six years mm. and I've made a promise to God that I wouldn't write unless he dropped it in my heart. And he finally let me do it. And I'm so glad it wasn't until now because I wrote this book with a dad's heart. Mm. I think if I wrote it three years ago, I would have wrote it more with a prophet's heart. Okay. I wrote this book with a father's heart, and this is what breaks my heart. That doctor that said to his pastor, this is the one week a year I get to build the kingdom of God. Yeah. I've wept over that, and that's what drives me so strong. I want to see every human being discover their purpose and discover the gifts and to let them know that they can have the faith to multiply. If we do that, we get a fully functioning body. Right now, I'm going to just do an evangelistic thing. I'm going to guess maybe 20% of the believers in America are operating in their God-given gifts. That means 80% of the body of Christ is not operating. What do you call a human being that 80% of their body doesn't work? You call them an invalid. Paul talks about that what we're, our job is as, as fivefold ministers is to impart to the saints, equip them so that that full body of Christ can grow to its full stature and measure. In other words, when all of us are operating in our gifts, we're going to see the greatest harvest into the kingdom we've ever seen. And that's what it's all about. And that's what my passion is. I want, I want everybody listening to us to have the faith to develop the gifts that God's given in them so they can multiply and impact other people's lives. Paul realized how important his gift was so much so that he said, woe is me if I don't release what God has given me. Woe is to call a curse upon yourself. Paul realized that the gift that he had wasn't for him. It was for those he reached. I came to the point one day where I realized the gift I have to speak, the gift I have to write isn't for John Bevere. It's for everybody that listens to me or reads these books. And that really brings a passion in me and a fire in me. Because I realize I'm carrying that something that God wants those people to have. And I'm not the only one, Kevin. Everyone listening, they are carrying something that God wants somebody in their world of influence to have. It's not for them. It's for the people that are in their world of influence. John, thank you. Thanks for giving us the time. Thank you for being a steward of what God's given you and bringing the book to us. It's a gift. I can't wait to share it with this audience. Thanks, Kevin. It's been an honor and a privilege. Friends, I truly hope this inspired and convicted you about your own talents. I mean, they exist. They're significant. You can multiply them. And in doing so, you will find yourself massively fulfilled as you fulfill others, us, me, in return. Again, you can find John at johnbevere, B-E-V-E-R-E.com, and his new book, X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential, you can find wherever you get books. Coming up in episode 838, Selling when they say no. So you have got a product or a service that can help somebody, right? You're talking with them about it right now. You know it would benefit them. You know what you have is the best there is, but they decline. They say no. 
Well, Zig Ziglar gives us a message at the top of this show with an important reality. They will not change their mind. Do you hear that? You're not supposed to convince them they're wrong. They've made a decision about what you're offering and they said no. And Zig says it's hopeless to try and change their mind. However, what he reveals is they said no to one issue regarding your product. And as you're going to hear Tom Ziegler discuss in this show, it's for one of five reasons, which means you have four other reasons to still discuss with them four relevant reasons why they can still say yes. And I asked the Ziegler audience this question with what you have to sell. What is the most common objective or challenge you deal with? So a lot of responses, Tom and I use that as our guide to fully unpack this issue. Well, till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.